Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Welcome, Chris, to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. You want to give us an introduction and tell us a little bit about your company, Penfold? Yes, absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. So I'm Chris, um, co-founder, co-CEO of Penfold. Um, we are a digital pension company trying to help everybody save enough for later life. So Penfold is primarily a workplace pension scheme um, today. Um, we used to be a pension scheme for the self-employed, but moved over to as a workplace pension scheme from last year. And really, we're trying to just solve the problem of people not saving enough because pensions are hard, too hard to use and too confusing. So trying to use technology to make everything about pensions much easier. Yeah, I, I have to admit it's something that I struggled with when I moved here. Because in South Africa, you have quite a lot of financial education, actually. I mean, for a large part, it's not the case. But when you grow up in, in a in a wealth, I want to say wealth family, but you know, the majority of the population is is poor. But if you've got the privilege, you do get taught how to, you know, have RAs, which is equivalent to uh, ISAs. You're always told to have a pension. You're always told to have a problem fund, etc. Um, when we came here, it was almost difficult to find that stuff. I only found out about ISAs like five years after being here, which was a, such a weird, like, oh, I wish I'd known about that. <laughs> Yeah, so it doesn't help that you know the rules are complex and the, some of the concepts are complex. But generally speaking, yeah, the level of education about all sorts of financial matters is so low. And the problem is with pensions specifically, 20, 30 years ago or beyond, when people stayed in one job for their careers and those those employers with defined benefit pension schemes provided them a level of income in retirement due to the fact that they had worked at that company a long time. Now the system's completely changed and individuals have to save in. Uh, it's just like a regular savings account with tax tax relief added to it. So it's down to the individual to make sure they're saving enough. But that was never really communicated to, to everyday people. You know what? No, the, the state pension is not going to be enough for you in, in later life. So, yeah, big problem that the level of understanding is, is so low around pensions. Yeah, and I think that's the point. To a large extent, there was a there was such a point where the state pension went away, and for a lot of people, they'd never thought beyond that. They always kind of assumed that that I think it was 150 pounds a week at that point. Now it's like 190 pounds a week is what they're going to get. And I mean, 190 pounds for a lot of people, you know, doesn't even cover the grocery bill, let alone all the other stuff they've got to pay for for nowadays. I suppose we should probably mention at least me. I'm not a financial advisor, and I'm not giving yeah. financial advice. I don't know if you are. Um, no, we are we are not. So, so take everything <laughs> as generic guidance. Um, yeah, yeah, be careful. Great. So, so tell me about your journey to to setting up Penfold. Yeah, how did we end up setting up, setting up a pension company? I guess my history with pensions goes back to my first job when I saw I, I have a I did maths at uni, sort of quite like numbers. Saw a, an illustration about compound interest when I was quite early in my career that was really really powerful. That just sort of demonstrated the extreme power of starting to save early as early as possible when it comes to your pension and even an extra sort of five or ten years as to when you start can end up doubling the amount that you have at retirement so mm. saw that and then became the annoying person that 
nagged all their friends about starting to save more into their pension. Um, but the flip side of that was that myself, every pension platform that I used was super frustrating um, and all my friends used. And what I would always hear back is that, yeah, yeah, I know I should save more, but it's such a nightmare to, to actually do it. So that was sort of the context. And then a guy that I worked with at Deloitte, which is where we both started our careers, had just set up the company pension scheme at his old company. This is Pete Eichen, my co-founder. And he found the process of setting up the pension super painful. And the fact that none of the staff paid any attention to it got us both talking about pensions and how, you know, it's an enormous industry. Pretty much everybody needs to save into a pension to support themselves after work. And yet people are saving hardly anywhere near enough to be able to do that. Um, and so, you know, we kind of looked at that problem as there are two two things going on, really, and we've talked about one of them. One is people generally don't understand pensions, tax relief, compound interest, all these sort of big things, and, and the money shy. And then pension platforms are hard to use. There's so much friction. Whenever somebody wants to do something about a pension, it's painful, so it drops to the bottom of the to-do list. And we kind of saw those two broad problems and thought, you know what, we could we could solve those with technology. So we can we can look at all the processes that go on behind the scenes with the pension, and we can automate those, which allows which makes the pension the process of pension saving much easier. And then we can communicate it to people in a way that you know people understand, and hopefully with those two things together, get them saving more. So that was our kind of big vision that we had over a beer when we were catching up. And then the next morning, sent an email to each other to say, right, should we actually do this thing? And uh, three months later, away we go, launching a pension company, despite neither of us actually having worked in pensions before, but sort of worked around the pension space. And and that lack of knowledge, was that actually a strength, do you think, or a weakness? I think it's the, the lack of experience working within pensions was a benefit in terms of not being... And um, being able to to think from first principles about some of these problems, you know, a lot of the early conversations we had were, oh, no, you won't be able to do it for this reason. Or, oh, no, it won't work like that because X, Y, Z. And, you know, it's helpful to be an outsider for that sort of thing. Mm. Um, you know, Pete worked in in sort of HR and staffing and and, and a lot of that and benefits and that side, that side of things. I worked in investment management, finance, we kind of you know, were broadly aware of the steps involved without being bogged down in the detail of exactly this, how the status quo works, which I certainly think helped. And, you know, we've obviously had to learn quite a lot along the way as well. Sure. No, of course. And I think there's a um, some of these things are timing. You know, I think the technology and the open, I don't know if you fall into open banking or there's another equivalent, but having access to APIs that you can plug into has made a big difference. We use open finance or open banking to power some of the oh, how customers pay into the pension to make it really easy to do that. But then some yep. of the kind of more more engaging features or parts of the experience where instead of a pension being a black box, you know, your money's invested, we can um, we, we or, and, and you know we can connect to people's bank accounts, look how much they're spending, help them work out how much they can afford into their, to save into a pension, set up a variable payment, and then once it's invested, double click and see all of the companies that they're invested in, um, vote on the AGMs of the companies that they're invested in, all of this stuff that technology just enables that kind of moves things mm. on so many years ahead of where kind of a lot of paper-based experiences were until quite recently. Yeah, and and I think what you're talking about there is is I mean, 
if I think about my experiences and, and most of my stuff's with Vanguard, which was the the one that I chose a couple of years ago because of one fees, um, but also to a level of they had their funds, but they also had a little, I could buy other stuff that I wanted. Um, whereas a lot of the other providers wouldn't allow you to buy anything unless it was their stuff. Um, and some people want that flexibility. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to slate the, the Vanguard experience, but there's can leaves a lot to be wanting sometimes. Um, and I think that's the, the sort of toss up sometimes is you got to find one that, that, that is usable, that meets your objectives. Um, and then also you can expand on it if you want to expand on it, which it sounds like you're doing. You allow that expand to the extra step to to get involved in the actual investments themselves or the, or the companies. Yeah, I mean, the, the way we sort of looked at that whole thing is that there are platforms out there for people who know what they're doing, who know, mm. you know which savings wrapper to go into, what they want their portfolio constructed from, and they're happy to put up with slightly painful kind of user experience to wade through and put, will persevere to, to execute those trades. And that's not generally, and that's a small proportion of the, of the of the population. It may be a small proportion that has quite high level of assets. So that's why a lot of go after that corner of the market. But for us, the bigger prize was on helping the other 90% of the population that has very, very little financial literacy and doesn't want to pick and choose how they're investing their money. And really, it's all about making the savings experience, like opening an account, putting money into yeah. it, understanding what's going on, um, making that as simple as possible to make it less scary to not put people off so that they save more. So yeah, then the challenge, so you know, wanting to make things simple, but then make them engaging so that people come back to use them. So, you know, you've got to balance those two things. But that's certainly been our in our been our approach over the over the years. Yeah, and I think trust is an important thing. You, you know, you, you're, your customers are going to trust you to look at their bank account. Um, I mean, I remember years ago, a friend of mine saying, yeah, I'm using the service. And they come and look at your bank account and they take the, they do the rounding off whatever you spend. And then they put whatever you've, whatever that rounding is into a pot. And then that pot goes into their investment thing. And I was like, I don't want someone to get my bank account. You know, I really don't. And, you know, I think that that level of trust now five years down the road, now I don't care because I've got so many apps that look at my bank account anyway, categorizing things and allocating things. So I don't have to do it because now it's a convenience thing. And I'm happy to have that. And to just have that little bit of money that's that's sliced up and put into a little pot you know, at the end of the month, you've got like 50 bucks and then you're like, oh, that's, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have had the 50 bucks because I would just carry on spending. Now the 50 bucks is allocated to to go into a slush fund, let's say. And now you've got um, at the end of the year, what, uh, what that 600 bucks put away in above to whatever else you're doing, which makes you feel good. And then, as you said, compound interest, if you understand all that stuff, if you can forget about that money, you know, five years from now, seven years from now, it's doubled. If you're getting your 7% return which in most cases you will get um as i said general general advice um it's it's that's where it's palpable if you've got kids and stuff like that i mean the amount of people sorry i ram a little bit but you know i chat to parents all the time and the ones that aren't saving for in university and that stuff already and the kids are like one two years old just don't understand that in in if they don't start the, the that hill just gets higher and higher as the longer you wait i'm gonna you know, I'm going to butcher this stat, but there's something. Um, there's, a, there's a chap called Robert Gardner who says that the your your money savings habits you fully develop by the age of seven or something. So you need to that that concept of putting something aside for future 
know, really needs to be built in from from an early age. But going back to what you're saying before around, yes, it's you know a few bucks here and there, but it's yeah, starting is the important thing because as you say, it starts to build up, and then you realise, oh, hang on, I've managed to save a few hundred bucks. Well, I can do more, and then it's just it sort of snowballs from there. Um, so yeah, for us, yeah. it's about you know make getting those initial barriers to starting as low as possible. Um, so we actually started at the moment. We, as I said, we're a workplace pension provider, and we so we speak to businesses with 50 to 500 staff and help them switch pension schemes. We started off life. We wanted to go direct to end customers to make sure that the end the actual savings experience for the end customer was as good as it could be um, before we took it to businesses. And we focused on the self-employed. Um, so there's 5 million self-employed people in the UK and only cent saving into a pension. So it is just astonishingly low. And, you know, the reasons were, were broadly what I've talked about is that, you know, the user experience and the complexity put people off. And so for us, it was just about making that the process of going from zero to having a pension is very, very simple as possible, and then mm. standing on it from there. Um, so that's that's sort of where we spent the first first couple of years at Penfold, which is yeah, as I say, all about kind of making things as possible. Sorry, when you when you say the percentage, it, it cut out there for a second. What was that percentage? Fourteen one four. F- one four. Wow. Yeah. That's low. So, so exactly. You know, you have you have four million of the five million self-employed are just not saving for later life, and I think it's. Now, you've obviously got a lot of other concerns. You know, you've got financial stability today to deal with, but mm. that million is, of people aren't just at one end of the income spectrum. That that spans all levels of income spectrum, all different types of jobs, all different types of industries. The savings rates were low, and the government today um, did a report on this, which was um, how to solve the self-employed savings crisis, and it, it found. The same things that I've been talking about. It's it's not that you can't afford it. It's not that people didn't want to save for later life. It was just that it was a bit too difficult <laughs> um, with the when you're setting it up for yourself. So um. yeah, and, and and I think you know putting money into a savings account, especially in this country where the where the interest rate you're going to get is so small, um, and currency is devaluing all the time. It's not it's not um, getting stronger. So even even if you're getting your three percent, I think which is currently the going rate. Um, the actual currency itself is devaluing um, faster than that. So you have to put it into something that's a bit more aggressive, which is your your stock market. I mean, even crypto as an option. And again, you know, it's everyone has their personal choice of where they're going to put their money. But I think you have to have different vehicles and I think you have to make it automatic. Um, I think yeah. that's what you're doing is you're making it automatic. So you're not worrying about it every month. Oh, I need to put money aside. It's pay myself first and then pay all my other bills so that later on in life I've got some something. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which is, you know, the benefit. So if we move away from self-employed people into people in full-time employment, also mm-hmm. enrolled came in government legislation 10 years ago that every business had to offer, had to enroll all their staff in, um, in a pension scheme, which is great. You know, it's got, it's got so many more people saving into a pension now than were before. Um, and, you know, you have to, the minimum level is 8% unless the employee opts out. And that's split between the employer and the employee. So employee spends, pays in 5%, employer pays 3%. And so, as I say, that's a good thing. People are saving. The bad thing is that 8% isn't enough. <laughs> um, you know, people, again, not advice, but really it needs to be around 12% or higher. 
um, consistently throughout the career to, to generate a decent level of income. Um, obviously, lots of kind of educators around that, but, but broadly speaking, that's the case. So, and the, the other problem with this with the auto enrollment is that that eight percent that people have a false sense of security over being enough can also be calculated on a small proportion of your salary and not your whole salary. So, when you for some people it might end up being only four or five percent, which is about a third of what they should be saving. So. Um, can be quite alarming. I guess the, the sort of advice for anyone is to just find out what what scheme that they are on or they are offering, um, how it's calculated to see, just so they know, um, so they know what what's going on and they can assess whether that's kind of the right thing for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, again, it differs in cultures. So, so in South Africa, you have financial planners, financial uh, advisors that you almost. You know, you can't walk anywhere without bumping into someone you know who's doing that. Um, and there are qualifications, your CFAs and CFPs and, and all that stuff. So, you know, they're not just, you know, ambulance chasers to be thinking. They're, they're the qualified people. And, you know, that's part of life. You, you have you have one, you talk to them, and they do your medical aid, they do your insurance, they do your, your as I say, your pensions. Um, here, I haven't, I haven't found it as much. And it almost feels like to go and talk to them sometimes is quite overwhelming. Um, they come across as very unapproachable and, and, and sometimes a bit too salesy as opposed to trusted advisor. And I think having, I think we're all, we're all quite used to having a technology interface now, a chatbot, a website we go to, fill out a survey, answer some questions, get some advice. Um, so having a, having a platform you can go into. And also people like to figure out themselves, oh, at least I do, like to figure it out myself and then go and check my my understanding as opposed to someone selling me something or telling me something and I don't know what what it all means so I can't really make an answer or make a judgment so I have to still go learn it anyway but now I'm, I'm sort of confused by all the stuff I've been told um so I need to have a simplified version so uh, I think finding ways to do that is important um is, is that something you're tackling as well I guess yeah you're right and, and actually a lot of people don't have even the ability to have a financial advisor because they they don't have high enough assets. You know, majority mm. of people don't earn enough or have enough saved up for it to be interesting to a financial advisor who charges. The yeah, good point. Um, and so, yeah, it's called the advice gap, and you know, we we are very much trying to fill that with not advice but but education. You know, empowering people with the basics and the fundamentals so that. They don't necessarily need to go and speak to a financial advisor, but they can make some decisions for themselves um, around around their savings goals. You know, around if they've got high debt, then clearing down the debt before they you know start investing mm. in stuff that isn't going to earn them as much. You know, credit card debts, get rid of them first. All these sort of general kind of finance tips that ultimately put people in a better sort of financial position, which allows them to then save more into their pensions. That's the ultimate sort of aim that we're trying to help people with. So. Yeah, we do, from an education perspective, do do that. And one of the things we're looking at at the moment is actually can we can we broaden that out um, and where where people need specialist sort of personal guidance, can we offer that to them either through a partnership with an advisor or even bringing an advisor on board ourselves? Because, you know, 90 times out of 100, 95 times out of 100, some basic sort of fundamental kind of education will do the job. But sometimes you do need a a conversation about your personal circumstances. So that's one of the things we're looking at adding this year, I think. 
Yeah, there's a, uh, I've got a very bad addiction at the moment, which is YouTube Shorts. And there's an accountant on there. Um, I can't think what his name is now, but he, he's an American guy. And, and, he's, and you only get that with five seconds, 10 seconds. And it'll be someone who's spending like 25%, 30% of their salary on a car. And it's like a weird car, like, a you know, some big truck. And there's in America, there's some very strange ways of, of paying for things as well. And um, his reactions are kind of what I'm thinking about. It's that kind of like, you're paying what for what? And you only earn what? That sort of thing. And I think that's, you know, people are embarrassed to have those sort of conversations. But I think we've all got to have them. Um, you know, if you if you know Ramon Seti, he always talks about the truck, the amount of guys that have to own a truck. And it's after called a bucky. Um and it's, you know, it's an unnecessary vehicle for the most part, but it's an ego thing, status thing. Um, and I think you've got the data. Now, and this is where, where I think ties into not all of what you're doing, but I think this is where it's going in the sense of tying it all together. If you can start aggregating all the data together and you can start seeing those patterns and those ratios are out of alignment. So, you know, how much should you be spending on a house? How much should you be spending on a car? How much should you be putting away for savings? You've mentioned 12%. You know, how much you just spend on a car, whatever that is. Uh, I forget the numbers, but but people don't know about those things. So, like when I was growing up, you went and, you know, you, you earned a salary, you went and bought a car, and then you worked out your budget sort of afterwards. Um, it gets you into trouble, you know, and then you have to earn more money to pay off your, your mistake. Uh, and you get into that, that, that sort of laundry cycle of all this dirty washing um, until you get on the, you know, someone helps you to figure it all out and, and get, get on the right um, the right path. Yeah, so. and that's yeah, that's as we've been talking about. That's where technology can just leapfrog things. Um, you know, because in the past five years ago, you'd have to go to a financial advisor, who then takes three months gathering all your kind of bank statements and analysing them and playing them back to you. These days, you just need to you know, click an app and get your bank account, and it'll happen straight away. And then it hasn't been cracked yet. The sort of um, digital advice journeys. A lot of people are working on it, but um, it, it, it's only a matter of time, and, and certainly we'll be doing part of that um, on, you know, powering kind of digital guidance and advice um, that happens sort of in an automated way for people through their kind of savings savings apps and, and, and products. So um, mm. it just makes the whole thing less less scary, much easier, and it empowers people to make better decisions. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um you know, legislation is is one good way of, of making it happen. I mean, as you mentioned, the the, the commitments and that sort of thing. And, and I quite liked reading through your website. You have a sustainability slant as well. Um, I think that's important too, finding the, the funds that make you feel good beyond just saving, you know, earning your money in the sense. I mean, you call it saving, but I, I always think of it as, as investing. I think saving, you'd save for a rainy day, but then you have to be investing. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's there's a difference there, um, but I, I, I like that as an angle. Was that something you set out to do from day one, or was that something that came through through evolving the product? Yeah, it came through um, pretty. It was about six months in, um, but we always wanted to have that that option for people where you know, we have our standard range of investment portfolios, and then a range that is they do better on various sustainability metrics than the standard portfolio by disinvesting in some some badly performing companies from an ESG perspective and then you know, up-weighting others. Um, that, so that was always something we wanted to do and something that we that we added pretty early on. We are now wanting to go a bit further. Um, so those the funds that we have are, are good. You know, they balance getting a good ret- a positive risk-adjusted return for people with 
doing you know better by the by the <laughs> on various sustainability metrics as I should, as I say um, but you know people would people might argue they don't get far enough so they're not funds that have a have a genuine impact in the world they're not investing in companies okay. that actively reduce the carbon footprint they're just they're just not investing in the worst performers if you see what I mean so yeah one of the things that we're looking at at the moment is adding another investment option or a range of investment options that people can choose to invest in either some of their portfolio or quite a lot of their portfolio if they want their money to to have a have more of an impact in the world for climate change for you know water you know all, all clean water all sorts of things now, the thing that's taken us a while is that we want to there's a lot of greenwashing out there there's a lot of people that, that claim their funds investment plans do more than they actually do um, yep. huge amounts of that unfortunately and also you know there's a lot of impact funds can be quite high risk and expensive because they only invest in a small number of things they're not very diversified and they cost a lot of money we want to blend cost diversification and impact so and return so find options that you know we are confident will over a long term generate a positive return for people that don't cost an arm and a leg but also aren't super risky and um uh and and have an impact so it's quite hard to find but i think we we're, we're almost there and so we're hoping to add that later this year and and what's the interaction like with your customers on that i mean do you do you do surveys do you talk to them i mean how do you decide these are the things you should be doing or not be doing we do um, a, a combination of things. So we'll have three or four customer interviews a week, just on a rolling basis. Okay. Um, yeah. And and I, I even do some myself. I do one, I try to do at least one every two weeks, just to kind of make sure I can hear from end customers what's going on. And then we also put out surveys as well. We, we might have a specific range of things we want to ask questions of. So we we'll do a we'll do a one-off survey to. 2,000 of our customers, or we have these net promoter score kind of pulse survey mm. things that go out to a proportion of customers every month that asks for feedback. And we can also do things like attach a question to a certain point of our website or our app that pops up when people are using that thing to get a very spot check in the moment. What do you think about this? What were you trying to do? That, that sort of instant feedback while someone is actually carrying out the action, which is super sort of actionable. So yeah, I guess we do a range of things because it's kind of, I suppose, product development 101 is that we want to make sure that we're being customer focused and, and building what what is solving the needs of our customers. So, yeah, do a lot of that stuff. And, I mean, with those engagements, I mean, are you are you finding there's an age or the, or the categories of ages you're dealing with that, that are, are telling you kind of who's got the appetite for this and who doesn't? I mean, do, are you, I mean, it might be an obvious question, but are you finding it's a young thing versus an old thing or is it across the board so the distribution of our customers is something like high early late 20s to mid to late 40s is where the bulk of customers are and then there's sort of a but it's actually quite a flat peak in terms of the distribution so um but yeah broadly speaking it's people people in their 30s are, are a good chunk of our customer base and i think a lot of that's come from you know when we started off as self-employed we're a digital based product you know it's it's possibly more likely to and it, it was it was really for people who are wanting to open a pension for the first time. Um, as we've moved into workplace pensions, that has changed a little bit because obviously when you win a 
a business with 100, 500 staff, you're going to have a much broader distribution of ages. So we, we have all, all sorts. But yeah, generally speaking, as you might expect for a digital savings product, it's sort of, um, yeah, 20s to 40s. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that would be your your main your main thing as well. I mean, I was I was fascinated, but um, I feel like the person growing up now has so much information to be educated. You know, they 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 don't have to be taught. I mean, they, yes, your parents will teach you something, but they can go look on TikTok or Facebook or whatever they're using. In fact, most don't use Facebook; they're probably using TikTok, and get some advice. Now, whether it's good advice or bad advice, I don't know. But you know, that they're more interested in it. Uh, and can learn it in 15 seconds, 30 seconds a minute. You know, they don't necessarily have all the all the knowledge, but at least the the, the concepts have been thrown at them to to build up a base. Uh, and then of course it's on your phone, so you know that's that's it's in your hand. It's easy to use. You know, while you while you're commuting, you're doing it. Which I think is also hugely important. Um, great. And uh, plans for you mentioned some plans for the future. I mean, is there a um, I mean, is there an AI behind it? I mean, everything seems to have AI behind it, or you guys kind of got the the flow working as a as a kind of normal system, I guess. We're building it. We built AI into some of our customer support around. We've trained AI models on our um, FAQ base and all of the sort of stuff that customers might have to search around in our blogs to find information is now. Mm-hmm. If they go into the intercom, it's just there. Um, so. Yeah helping kind of deliver better customer support. Um, one of the things that we're going to try, we actually got a, we've got a sort of a day, I guess we're calling it a hackathon day, but we've got a product team that's working on a prototype of using AI to, to sort of an AI guidance um, model within within the app. So, so it's someone to ask questions about savings and investments and mm. answer sort of more general general questions so we'll be we're looking at that sort of ai enabled kind of guidance within the within the product but that's probably the extent of it for the time being um yeah and obviously you know content generation is is, is quite helpful but you have to keep quite a close eye on um the output at the moment yeah i mean every, yeah i mean everyone who's used chat will know that it, it'll spit out something that looks really good very yeah. confident, but you have to have a bit of subject, you know, subject knowledge or whatever to, to call it call it out for being wrong. But you know, it, it is it is about scaling as well. I think I think you need to be able to answer questions at all times of the night and and with the disclaimer that it's you know is what it is. But I think we need that. If you okay. can train it on sources that you trust, then you know that's yeah. um, that's that's part of yeah. the, the problem solved. Yeah. And and I think to a large extent this is a space that is fairly well known, but I think your, your point about education is the key, and it's and it's been able to explain a complicated concept in a simple simple way, and even as it might be as simple as saying if you put you know a pound a, a pound away a day for the next three hundred sixty five days, this is what it is with compound interest versus just normal um, simple interest. You know? Um, and if you're doing it, you know we've seen your patterns. You go buy coffee at Cafe Nero every Friday. If you put five bucks away instead of buying the cup of coffee or you know buying a special machine with the capsules this is what it could be for you and you're going to have this much money at the end because that's what your your trade-off is your net is then you know it changes some behaviors as well exactly what, what's your sort of user base now i mean i saw uh, 200 million for your your assets but i mean what what sort of numbers have you got people using the the product so there's maybe 4,000 people with savings pots so with money in their account um 
yeah. 70,000 kind of users who are partway through the process of, 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 um, of setting up or, or using Penfold to track down their old pensions. So 44,000 who are fully set up. And yeah, that took us about three years, well, just over just over two and a half years to get to that first 100 million of, of pension assets. And then I think it was eight months to then double that to 200. Um, so it's it's quite exciting now to see that kind of momentum um, starting to shift where a lot of the customers that we brought on board in the early days are still still with us and building up their pension pots and combining their old pensions with Penfold. But we've also brought on a load of new businesses and all of their staff um, over the last year. So we have now have 400, 400 employers using Penfold. And, you know, that's that's our main focus now on, on finding those new uh, employers that are getting tired of the, the sort of older platforms that their staff never really engage with or, or log on to, um, which is quite prevalent in the workplace pension space and helping them switch to kind of a more modern more modern platform that helps their, their staff save more. Yeah, so, and, and, I mean, and that piece you mentioned there about, about sort of a consolidation or aggregation of your pensions. I mean, I find that, like my wife has worked for multiple companies here, so we know she's got pensions in two or three other providers. And it's almost like a detective thing to go and find an old document or, or something like that to which provider was, what was the policy number, et cetera, et cetera. In, in South Africa, we built a system called Astute, and, and we have an ID number, and you just punch the ID number in. I mean, you know, it's a paid for service and secured and that kind of stuff. But in simple terms, you put the ID number in, and you get back a report of every investment, every piece of insurance, every um, medical aid that you've ever had. So your financial planner, again, can go, okay, you know, here's everything that's consolidated. It's very difficult to do that here so far, unless you guys are solving that problem too. But almost to just take your your national insurance number, punch it in, get all those those things, and then, and then fill out the forms to move it all across because that's the other piece. Now you got to like print out a form, sign it, and send it back in to move it. Whereas it would just be great if you could just automate that to as simple as possible. Yeah, agreed. And so we've, we have built a lot of that where you just need to enter the name of the company you worked for, dates that you worked there, and then we can help find policy number of the pension scheme you have, input that all into our app, transfer the request back. So so all you really need to do is click into the name of employer and then click yes a few times and that should do the the, the transfer for you. But what you're describing with the with the um, system based in South Africa is so the government at the moment are trying to launch what's called the pensions dashboard, which is exactly mm. that, which is one one thing where you put in your national insurance number and it and it shows you all of your pensions. <coughs> It keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. But in, in a couple of years, when hopefully that happens, that, that'll be great because immediately solve this big lost pots problem where there's 28 billion pounds of lost pension pots out there because people lost track of their, their policy number. So then everyone will at least know where their pensions are and then they can mm. choose whether which provider they want it to be with out of choice based on which one provides the best service and value for money. So... Um, you know, that'll ultimately be, you know, the savings pitch will be in a much better place when that when that dashboard is is here. But in the meantime, we kind of we're replicating it a bit in our product. Yeah, look, I, I think um, you can go so far to solve the problem for what it is. And I think you can rely on the government. I think also the way I've seen fees going, you know, there's a lot more clarity around what a fee is to your pension provider. Um, whereas, you know, that used to be a very hidden thing. 
it'd be nice to actually see them all in one line and say, okay, you could stay with Vanguard or you can go come to you guys or whoever it is, knowing that your fee structure is what it is. And I think it's not really a regulation thing, but I think it is about having it being an independent party that brings it together. As opposed, and, and the student is independent. It's paid for by all the big providers, but it's run as a separate entity. And I think that's important too. So you can trust that it's not got a a, a, um, a bias yeah. one provider. Um, so, no, great. I mean, it, it look it looks like a great product. But if I hadn't already moved everything, I probably would be moving here. To be honest, what is the what, what is? I mean, let's talk about a small business. You you mentioned sort of fifty to hundred. What about less than that? Sort of naught to fifty. Are, yep. are they worth coming into this, or is it is it absolutely. better to do their own thing? No, absolutely. So, yeah, we have those four hundred clients. We have ranged from two employees all the way to two thousand employees. Um, okay. And so, fifty to five hundred is just where we're doing a lot of outreach at the moment. Um, but um, we get a lot of inbound interest from biz- businesses who either um, have just hired their first employee, or need to set up a pension scheme for the first time, or have and have found dealing with Nest each each month super painful. And so we, we help them switch. What we've just launched, um, or we're launching in the next few days, is this new platform that allows people, employers, to solve, um, to self-serve and to onboard themselves and to manage their pension contributions. So um, once that's live and that's that's working, as I say, that should be by the end of by the end of this month, that should be sort of ready to go. Any business should, from our website, be able to set up their pension very, very quickly with Penfold. Um, so, and you know, will the, the doors will be open for for businesses of all size at that point? So, um, that's quite exciting. Yeah, that sounds really good because I mean, that was one of the things I was looking at personally was was to set up my own. Uh, I think it was an SSAS pension mm-hmm. um, at one point, and then I, then I looked at the little. It's actually just too complicated. Um, and I was, I'm not assuming that's what you're doing. Yours is more, you know, BlackRock or a, it's going into a fund of funds um, mechanism. But um, even just even to do that piece was was a lot of work. I had to get, you know, it kind of felt way too much. I'd rather just pay the person extra and just go put in your own pension. But it sounds like you're solving that problem as well, which is which is great. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's it's just, and, and the the problem is a lot, a lot of these pension providers, because of the race to the bottom on fees mm. and the old legacy sort of technology on which they operate, which is outsourced, they outsource the administration to third parties who outsource the technology to third parties. Um, and they try to keep costs down, which means that there's very, very little kind of customer support because um, they can't mm. a business model. And we've sort of taken the opposite view is that we want, you know, we want a value for money fee. That means that we can provide a great service. Which means we have someone on the end of the phone that can help people with their questions, help them get set up, um, which is all enabled by technology, of course. But um, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be so difficult to to set up a pension scheme for your for your company or ask a few questions about it. Um, so that's kind of our, our ethos. And this is totally off the off the wall, but I mean, in theory, you could if you have kids, you could start their pension early too, if you wanted to. I mean, I don't know how what what the the process is to get a national insurance number, but I mean, in theory, you're just starting another pot. I mean, you have the junior ISA, which is, you know, that's probably as good. But I was wondering if there wouldn't be a benefit to starting a pension really early, if it's different funds or not. I don't know what your thoughts are. It's just an off-the-cuff thought. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 
depending on the growth rate you use, £1,000 at birth could be 80 grand at retirement because of the compound interest, which is sort of 4x what it would be if you start when you're 20. So, yeah, um, we it's called a child SIP. So ours is a SIP, self-invested personal pension. Um, and for, for our workplace clients, it's a group personal pension. We don't currently offer a child SIP, but we can do with a change, slight change to our scheme rules that would allow any parent to set up pension for their for their kind of newborn i think we've sort of the research we've done into it is that the isa is probably more favored in terms of you know the 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 child will be able to access it when they're when they leave home rather than have to wait 50 or 60 years which just feels a little bit far um but the compound interest is very powerful no well sure look i think you don't you don't do away with it with it with the child isa i mean i think you keep that but and, and as you say, that's like a 21-year-old, here's your money, you know, buy a house, study, whatever it is, um, have, you know, use the money as you as, as you can. But then you still have that pension pot that's going as well. That, uh, And I think it was Tony Robbins that actually did a, th- a thing on this. Um, he explained to his, to, there was a story he tells of, a, of an 18-year-old and his dad, and his dad saying to him, if, you, if you're prepared to do it for three years and you put and I forget the numbers, this is say $300 a month for three years. And you put that in and, and I'll match you the 300. So you're putting in 600 for three years. Something along the lines of if you put that in, you don't have to work or invest again because that, that'll just grow so quickly over the next 20, 30 years to give you X, X number. And I forget what the numbers were, but it was like, oh, that's a million bucks. Wow, that's a that's crazy to think about that. But it was yeah. something as simple as that. And if you do it from newborn, as you say, a thousand pounds. You know, by the time you get to sixty, uh, it's a lot for nothing. Yeah, really. Exactly. Yeah. So, which is how you know, going back to the start of the conversation, how I got into this whole thing. So, um, yeah, super powerful. Yeah, it, 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 you've heard the story of the chessboard, where um, yes, yeah, where the guy goes to the king and says, "I will solve your problem if you give me one piece of ro- piece of rice for every um, and doubles per square on the chessboard." And the, the king laughs at him and doesn't realize that that, that exponentially, that exponential growth basically wipes him out and his kids out you know, forever because it's just a bigger, bigger number. I think there'd be more uh, more grains of rice than there are atoms in the universe or something. If you were yeah, something, something, something exactly like that. And, and he's an investec who's got you know presence here in the UK and in South Africa. That was one of the adverts, and it's always stuck with me. Uh, and and I, and I never understood it at the time, but as you get older, you sort of understand these things. Uh, a little bit better. No, this is great. I'm, I'm looking at your platform. I think your website's great. Uh, I think it's very, very clear, uh, which is good. Is there? Is there? Do you want people to get in contact with you directly? Do you want them to go to the website? I mean, what's the best way to to take this forward if they're interested? Yeah, they could do one of two things: go to our website, getpenfold.com, so G-E-T penfold.com, um, and then you can either, if you're looking for, um, if you're a business looking for a new pension scheme, you can get in touch with one of our sales team there, or just. If you've got a question, feel free to reach me on LinkedIn. Um, so if you search Chris Eastwood and Penfold in LinkedIn, I should come up. Um, happy to answer any questions there. Um, if you can't find the information on the website. Great. Thank you very, very much for sharing this. And uh, I wish you all the best with this. It's a, an honorable uh, initiative as well. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to see when you, as you release new stuff, what comes up because I'll, I'll be keeping an eye. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks very much for having Super. me on the podcast. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. 
thank you Heather for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.